Does your book talk about God? It does. Do you believe in God? No. What do you believe in? The universe. Talking to people about dark matter and neutrinos can be funny. Surely you're joking. Hopefully, yes. What a wonderful universe. Welcome to Show You're Joking. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Peter Hickerson. Uh, today, Jimmy and Owen are out of town, so we have a guest co-host, Aaron Darling. Yay! Hi, Thank you guys for having me. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. I have a present for you, actually. Oh, Kevin. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Let me introduce Aww. the guest, and then I we'll get can't wait. I love presents. <laughs> uh, also, but who is faithful and always here is Griff Pippin. <laughs> That's my credit. <laughs> I've got a PhD, <laughs> faithful and credit. I'm like a girlfriend like that a he's lab. ready to dump off at any right. minute. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy O. Yang has a really good excuse, though. He is in Boston filming Patriot Day with Mark Wall. And he has a fairly major role in that movie. Yeah, so not a bad excuse. We cut him some slack on that and said, okay, you can <laughs> not show up on our unpaid show that you yeah, have. It's okay, you gotta work with us. Marky Mark, Marky it happens. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, finally, today, our science guest uh, is somebody who's been a friend of mine for a while. He's a professor here at Caltech in theoretical physics. He's the author of three books. I can only think of two of their names. One of them is uh, Particle at the End of the Universe and a new one coming out, uh, The Big Picture, which That's we're right. going to talk about. Uh, Professor Sean Carroll. Thank you. Yay. Yay. This is real enthusiasm, too. <laughs> this is real. I saw the applause sign going yeah. on, so don't think you can fool me. Um, you're, of course, no uh, stranger to uh, things like this, podcasts and shows. You've been on uh, You've been on Steve Carell, or uh, Stephen Colbert's Steve show. <laughs> okay, yeah. They're, they used to be in a sketch together, okay? Yeah, it's even true. Steven. Anyway, yeah, you've been on uh, um, Stephen Colbert, and I'm sure you're going to be on just a shitload of shows with this uh, book coming out because you usually do a nice tour for yeah, that. Yeah, the great thing about being on the Colbert Report is you now know how you'll be introduced at every colloquium you ever give for the rest of your life. Physicists <laughs> <laughs> just can't get enough of saying that, yes. <laughs> um, well, anyway, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, can you give us? Uh, do you want to talk about the book now? Or I love talking about the book. I yes, I, I am very happy to read. talk about the book. <laughs> I got Thank it early. You. It's a yeah, great it's, read. It's page turner. Uh, so the subtitle is on the origins of life, meaning, and the universe itself. The light stuff. So it is <laughs> hilariously overambitious, basically. Even yeah, you know, just to put it in context, the Harvard Alumni Magazine made fun of me for being too immodest in the title of my <laughs> So you know that something is uh, not aimed right. But yeah, it's. Trying, it's about the big picture. It's trying to connect the underlying laws of nature, especially the laws of physics, to the world we see around us. You know, we're made of atoms and particles and so forth. So one part of the story is telling us how those atoms and particles come together to make complicated things, to make thinking things like you and me. And then another part of, uh, of it Griff, is saying, you know, thinking things, <laughs> you and me, I said. <laughs> The other Not part thinking. is just saying, like, so what does it mean? Like, does it matter? Should we be living in existential anxiety because we're just bunches of atoms pushing each other apart? Yes. That's the shorter That's what we already do, right? When you say life so, meaning, is it life, comma, picture. meaning, or life meaning? Life, comma, okay. meaning, comma, <laughs> and the universe itself. Yes, all those things. 
Uh, it's great that you're doing that, though, because I happen to know that, that uh, whenever non-physicists, non-academics ask me about physics, that's pretty much what they jump for. They don't say, what are yep. you researching? It's right. always, no. well, what does that mean? And what does that mean for <laughs> life? You know, I do nuclear physics, and they're just instantly like, well, what's the purpose of that? And Shockingly, you know, they yeah. want to know how it relates to their everyday lives. Right. Like, you know, puny human beings, you know, with their cares and their worries. Yeah, it drives me a little crazy, though. But it's very reasonable. <laughs> now you can sell them my books, so and now you're done. <laughs> Yep. You have the answer. Uh, does your book talk about God? It does. Do you believe in God? No. What do you believe in? The universe. That's kind of what I believe in, too. <laughs> it's so big, so, though, right? Like, the universe. Mind, you know? The universe. You know, I think that, uh, what does it mean? So uh, the, the phrase that I use in the book is poetic naturalism. Mm -hmm. So naturalism is just the idea that all that exists is the universe, the natural world. There are no other worlds. There's no spiritual world or anything out there. And I don't assume it. I try to explain why you would believe that. Like, I try to give the reasons for why that is the case. And then poetic just means that we can talk about the universe in many different ways. So we can give it meaning, we can give it purpose and things like that, but that's we human beings talking about it. That's not inherent in the universe all by itself. So that's like when you have somebody who says, well, I believe the universe is God or something like that. You'd be, you'd say, okay, poetically maybe that's, yeah, yeah okay. If that's, that's really good. what they mean, they always sort of secretly mean that they want to attach more God-like properties. Right. Right. But yeah. if you're really, really honest that you're just inventing a silly new name for something that already has a name, yeah, I can't stop you from doing that. Right. Like a See, greater power or a higher energy? It's it's an equal power. Yeah. It's the universe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that uh, A lot of people come up to me and ask me things like that. Like one of them, and I'm, I'm way less tolerant of it than you are. Where do you meet these people yeah. who are coming up Very, to you and uh, saying, if I give gee, a pop, Kevin. Probably the same places <laughs> you would. Uh, you know, pop talks and, and comedy shows and stuff like that. Because when I do a comedy show, I tell people I'm a physicist. Right. And then they go, oh, they that, <laughs> that fart joke was great. Um, is there a God? Like that will literally be the <laughs> the that saves stuff. It's a good but one, question. But one of them, you know, one question that comes up is, I heard quantum mechanics says we're all connected. Right. Yep. Do you believe that? And, it, you know, I knew what they were getting at, but I'm just like, well, no. There's a chapter about that. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah, that's why it's a long book. There's chapters right. about all these things. But look, I, I learned a long time ago from Martin Rees, who's a very famous astrophysicist. Sir Martin Rees. He's a baron now in, in England. Uh, and he was giving a talk on cosmology. And ordinarily, like we professionals know, if you're giving a talk on cosmology, it's about galaxies and the early universe and the microwave background. But in the middle of it, he starts talking about life on other planets. And all the scientists in the audience are going, why are you doing that? That's not cosmology <laughs> at all. But of course, the audience lapped it up. It was a popular talk. They loved it. So give the people what they want is what, you know, rather than telling <laughs> them what advice. they should want. Right. You know, it's fine. I wrote a book about the Higgs boson. I wrote a book about the arrow of time. But people want to know what it all means and what it, what it implies for who they are. Now I got a book for that. Okay. So when you're writing your books, you're writing for, you know, the general public more than just the scientific community? Sometimes. I actually wrote four books. Kevin missed one out there. <laughs> I tried to uh, read the title of one, and it was about four sentences we long. We don't have Wikipedia yeah. where There's it another, from, so. uh, <laughs> It's tough without, without the Internet. Uh, I wrote a textbook called Space, Time, and Geometry, which is teaching ah, general right. relativity to graduate students in physics. So... Oh, yeah, I'll write for different audiences, and you, know, you, you obviously pitch for different things. But this book is certainly meant for everybody. This is a book you can give people. Mother's Day is coming up, you know. Mother's <laughs> Day. Thanksgiving. My mom would love that book. Oh, yeah. yeah. My mom has just been asking about Don't science books. <laughs> well, well maybe you haven't Catholic. given her the right science like, books. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned, when you did the, uh, the geometry book, you 
mentioned, I remember you, you mentioned on Twitter, I think you said you didn't advise people who didn't have tenure to write books. Is that still true? Do you still I don't remember that? saying that? But it's certainly true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> well, that yeah. makes. I want to write a book someday, but I, you know, I don't have tenure. I'm not even a professor yet. So, so would like would to get tenure? Don't write a book. Don't first. write a book. Not in science. Yeah. I mean, if you're. Well, but it, what if it's this kind of book versus more of a textbook? It's nope. the same. Yeah, because the people who want to hire you and give you tenure live in complete fear that you will stop doing research someday. That is mm -hmm. what they fear most because they're basically buying into you when you're in your early 30s for the rest of your life, for the next 30 or 40 years, right? Mm -hmm. And if you are great and then you get tenure and you stop doing research, you do something else, then you're a complete lost and that's what they worry about the most. So don't let them know that you care about anything other than doing research. Okay, well, what advice. if the book is like, hmm. why I work so hard? And we'll never You're stop. not working hard on the right thing, Kevin. Sorry, <laughs> you got to work My hard on so writing well, this, yes. this is a huge problem because I love doing comedy. Doing this podcast is awesome, but yeah, it's distracting. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, a little bit worried takes about. Takes time. It. That's yep, right. Takes yes. time. So um, you know, I'm not. I did not say don't write a book. I said. Don't write a book if your goal in life is to maximize your chances of getting tenure. Like, for some people, living a full life might be more important to them than getting tenure. That's also okay. Yeah. Well, that's true. It is for me. Yeah. And I've, I've worked in industry, so I've gotten to see both sides of it. And I, I like both sides. Um, you know, I'm never totally sure. Academia so. is always trying to get rid of people. They're not trying to hire people, right? There's many more people who get PhDs that can possibly be employed well, that's as professors. A, so if that's you give, a little bit of a baby boom issue. I'm not going to get too grizzly. But, too you know. grizzly. Nice word there, you baby boom. Grizzly. It's good intense grizzly <laughs> physics academia. If you know what I mean. I mean, there's there's waves of... Uh, I mean, one of the things that... Um, when when my class was getting their PhDs and everything, it was nearly impossible to get hired. There's zero jobs. Um, Sounds but familiar. There, but there has been a wave, a lot of those people then leaving, going into industry, but their rate at which a new positions are opening up is actually faster now than it was like 10 years ago. So at, you it's going to peak out. You know, know where are the job prospects better? I know comedy. That's why it's a guaranteed living. Yeah, we're kind of in physics. He's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to go do uh, auction shows at the Nerd Melt. Oh my God, that's my job. <laughs> that's Inside where we joke. met. We, uh, well, not where we met, but we did a, uh, she has a show called um, Drunk Shopping Network. Yeah. And one of the things I'm good at besides comedy and physics is getting drunk. So <laughs> he's he's, he's a show. master of it. And, and by the way, while we're on the topic, I'll, I'll give the you present. the present. Yeah. Um, so this is all that's oh, left of Molly yeah. Cyrus. Molly Cyrus. Uh, <laughs> let's explain a little background yeah. on Molly Cyrus. Yeah. For those who don't know Yeah, visuals. I'll just tell you the story. So when Kevin was a guest on Drunk Shopping Network at Meltdown, uh, Sundays at 8.30 p.m. PST, uh, he brought an amazing sculpture that was so cool. It was like a glass head with an orange wig on it, and this was inside, which is MDMA. And I thought this was, well, I mean, it was the molecular structure, Yeah, the molecular structure, which, I don't know, I thought it was. MDMA. Although hiding that in a glass head might be a strategy, <laughs> I don't know, might be. 
But I love this sculpture, and I thought it was so cool, and I put it in my car, and no one ended up buying it, and then I had to take my car to go get serviced, and I was like, oh, I want to take Molly with me, so I took her out, but it was so slippery oh, no. that she oh. fell out of my, oh my god, and I just broke the molecule, too. Okay. Uh, all right, you guys, I'm going right, to show do, myself out the mics. now. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah. Well, I appreciate bringing that back. So um, I wanted to give this to you. I'm really sorry that Molly RIP'd. So your idea of a present is to give back something someone <laughs> gave to you that you broke. Yeah, and I broke this too. It's so, good to be consistent. Uh, I'm an awful person. I mean, I would keep it if you don't want it, but I just yeah. thought it was a fun thing to give back. Comedy's awesome. Comedies <laughs> <laughs> are awesome too, yes. I, of course, know nothing about molecules, and I had to learn about them for the book because it's a big picture, and I'm a physicist. But I had to write about neuroscience and biology and, and molecules and photosynthesis, and uh -huh. so it was great for me to actually learn all those. There's an actual molecular diagram in my oh, book. That's stolen awesome. right from Wikipedia. So that's yes. nearly practical. <laughs> that's right, exactly, ATP. I had, a, I had a great conversation with somebody where I used uh, molecular parity to try and explain nuclear parity violation. And that was it. That was amazing. It really helped because I, I I tied it to something that we all know about Splenda. Splenda. Because I was yes. trying to explain how you know the laws of physics may all be left-handed, and so they all interact only with left-handed stuff. And there might be a mirror universe that's all right-handed or something like that. And that's why we're interested in studying it. Um, but they were still kind of hooked on the idea. They were so a little confused. What do you mean that life is only left hand? Because yeah, a lot that. of times people over jump and they think it literally has to do with your hand. Yeah. And I'm like, no, this is like a metaphor because hands have this property. So a left-handed hand looks like a right-handed hand in a mirror. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're mirror images of each other. And that's the fancy term for that is, uh, is parody. Um, and so anyway, life molecules are like this. That's and right. by it's kind of a mystery. It's not a weird mystery. I mean, it can be explained fairly well by randomness, I imagine. Although, uh, well, I'll get into that later. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, so the big question is, is it random like the way life is? The laws of physics? Like, we just, we kind of fell that way and that's the way everything interacts. And, uh, but anyway, they were like, well, how does left-handedness mean it doesn't work with your body? And then I th remembered the Splenda example. They're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, yeah, some are left-handed, some are right-handed. But they taste the same, but you only get calories from one of them. you have to explain more why Splenda is left-handed. <laughs> oh, I don't know. So it has, uh, it's, um, it, it's a chiral molecule in Splenda, which means that the molecule shape, just like this one, yeah. this is chiral also, mm -hmm. um, it looks... Uh, is it? Actually, I don't think it is. Is there a piece Not missing? Anymore. No. That one got broken. <laughs> uh, there's molecules like this, including some sugars. They're, they uh, they can have come in a left-handed version or right-handed version, and your body can only digest the left-handed version because that's the the kind that's made by plants, and so that's the kind that you're used to getting calories from. And that the, all the enzymes in your body are all designed to get the left-handed one. There's like a little little socket and the, that molecule goes in that socket and the only way you could get that other molecule to go in is for it to go in a totally different uh, left-handed, you know, right-handed version of that same uh, 
protein on the other side. So, uh, but for some reason, the taste buds that experiences sugar, they'll accept both kinds. They, they there's the socket very open-minded. Yeah. <laughs> right. What is Splenda, by the way? Oh, what is Splenda? Oh. No, I know, I know what right. it is, but what is it for real though? Because can I tell you something weird about Splenda? So I, my hair is bleached. We love weird I'm, Splenda I'm stories here. I'm not actually blonde. Yeah. Um, but when your hair starts tingling from having bleach on your head. They put Splenda in. What? Yeah, it's like a trick. Really? Wow. Yeah, isn't that Sugar? creepy? I'm what like, what's in Splenda? Creepy. Yeah, Splenda. it's supposed to like dull your nerves or something, so you don't want to scratch your How head could that when be you good? are burning with bleach. There's I, an acid and right? bleach burning your hair, and then you throw in Splenda. <laughs> I just say stay with being brunette, but. <laughs> I think you're being punked here. I don't think, yeah, that it really did. It's it true. Like, no, I think they're just like, they're literally like, what are we going to do with all this Splenda? Right, we need exactly. storage space at the salon. Just tell her it helps with the tingling. Google <laughs> it. It's it legit. It really is. But then Can like, I put what? saccharin? No. Sweet and low. No, that doesn't work. It has to be chemical. Any powder would work. (laughs) Well, anyway, so what it is is a sugar that's left-handed and right-handed. That's just 50-50. So what's in it? That's what's in it. It's the same stuff that's in sugar. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. It's just half of it. Same atoms. If you took a packet of sugar regular sugar, and then you reached, and you put a mirror down, and you reached through the mirror and pulled that out, <laughs> and you cut that in half, and you cut that in half, put them back together, that's where you'd have, you'd have Splenda. It sounds like magic. <laughs> yeah. Pretty well, much. it's, yeah, The magic I mean, of science. It's, yeah, the magic of science. It's made in a factory, so that's how, that's the big difference. It's not made by plants, which is why it can come out that way. That's the name of your first comedy album, The Magic of Science. That's it. That's there what we're going to call it right there. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for naming that for yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, <laughs> Kevin. I'm happy to write your whole act for you. Uh, so you, you also brought up your, uh, for a long time, you're a big proponent of the arrow of time discussion. And you mm-hmm. said, uh, I was sad to hear that you're moving away from cosmology. But uh, do you still, what, can you tell us about the arrow of time? Yeah, sure. what is that? It's the fact that time is different toward the past versus the future. So remember Einstein, remember, Einstein told you that space and time are very similar to each other. In fact, they're both part of space-time, right? So you locate things in the universe by saying where they are in space and when they are in time. You give three numbers in space, like east, west, north, south, up, down, right? Three dimensions of space. And you give one number for time, like when do you want to be there? So if you want to meet someone, tell them where and tell them when. But it's obvious that space, all the directions of space, are the same as each other. If you were up there in a spacesuit in orbit as a little astronaut, you could move around, face up, down, left, right. There'd be no difference. You don't see anything different between north versus south or whatever. Whereas time, there's obviously a huge difference between moving toward the future versus moving toward the past, which we can't do, right? You were younger in the past. You remember the past. You predict the future. Eggs can break as time goes on, but they don't unbreak, etc. So that's the arrow of time. It's just the fact that there is a big difference between past and future, even though time is supposed to be like space. So that's a little weird. And the, it's especially weird because when you look at the laws of physics at their deepest level, whether it's Isaac Newton or Einstein or whoever, they don't have an arrow of time. They treat the past and future exactly the same. If you make a, make a movie of a pendulum rocking back and forth and you play that movie backwards, it looks exactly the same. 
It's only when you get to things with many, many moving parts, like something with many molecules bumping into each other randomly, that we see this arrow of time. And long story short, it's all because the beginning of the universe, 14 billion years ago, near the Big Bang, was very, very special. It was very, very highly organized and orderly. And for the last 14 billion years, the universe is becoming more and more disorderly. That's why there's a difference between past and future. It's okay. becoming more disorderly? It is, yes. What do you mean by that? Well, you notice that if you sort of leave your room to its own devices, it will sometimes get messy and it will never clean itself up. Right? Oh, I hate that. I know. <laughs> if you shuffle cards and they were in order, they will become disorderly. If you shuffle disordered cards, they will never order themselves. Things do not spontaneously order themselves mm -hmm. in our universe. So we think we know why. Boltzmann, Ludwig Boltzmann, an Austrian physicist in the 1800s, explained that it's basically just because there are many, many more ways to be disorderly than to be orderly. Like orderly is a very small number of arrangements. Disorderly is many. So if you just let things go, there's just a, a lot higher probability they will end up disorderly than orderly. So the mystery is, why was the universe so orderly to begin with? Mm -hmm. And that we don't know the answer to. So some, as an experimentalist, something that always bothers me about this discussion is um, when we do an experiment, we track an input state and we track an, an output state of something. You know, we, we know what we have going in, we know what we have coming out. And so in that sense, there's always more coming out, degrees of freedom coming out than go in, or at least uh, even. But how much of that is just what we actually know about the system. Like what I mean is, when you mentioned like a room can become disorderly, I mean that's only because in our perception we only see like a an ordered room as the favorable one state. But you know, you you can imagine that somebody sees from a totally different point of view. They see like a labeled, uh, they label some messy state the like the ideal state. So. Yeah, no, that <laughs> that's not the reason. Yeah. There are many, many more ways to be disorderly. So if you uh -huh. take something that is already disorderly, like take the air in the room, it's all spread out, right? And an orderly configuration might be if you took all the air molecules and squeezed them into one little cubic centimeter in the corner, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you- What would happen with the rest of the air though? It, it's, well, take all, all of it and put it in, in one region. Take all the air. So it's much more dense, right? Much right. more compressed in one little region, okay? Let it go. It's going to poof. It's going to fill the room, okay? It will become more disorderly over time. But now start it disorderly. It doesn't become orderly. It just stays disorderly, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a matter of your choice. It had nothing to do with that. The weird thing is just that the universe was ever orderly to begin with. That's the surprise. And that's where you uh, really... Uh, came up with this idea of the possibility that there's another, that the direction might be that that's like a minimum point and that there's a big bang going backwards in time and one going forward in That's time. right. So we cosmologists, we talk about the big bang. We talk about this moment 14 billion years ago when everything was infinitely dense and, and rapidly expanding and hot, etc. Sometimes, by mistake, when talking to the general public, cosmologists act as if we know that the Big Bang was the beginning of the universe. And the truth is we don't know that at all. The Big Bang is the end of our theoretical understanding. So we don't know whether it's the beginning or not. It's absolutely possible there was a universe before the Big Bang. So one possible explanation of why the universe, our universe started so orderly is that there was a pre-existing universe that was disorderly already. It was just sitting there, it wasn't doing anything. 
but because of quantum fluctuations, it gave birth to another tiny little universe. And just because it's easier for universes to be born tiny than big, everything was orderly enough to fit into that tiny little region of universe. And then it expanded and cooled since then, and that's the universe we live in. So we could be a baby universe but, that, from the mommy universe that gave birth 14 billion years ago. So, wow. <laughs> wow, that's intense. So uh, it, you talked about talking to the public about Big Bang Theory. Uh, another issue that comes up for, for nuclear physics is that the Big Bang Theory is, a, is, a, is not just one theory. It's a whole set of theories, and, and they become more and more speculative as they go earlier and earlier to the universe. And, of course, all of modern particle physics is trying to probe closer and closer to that. But, um, you know, so when I talk about the Big Bang Theory sometimes uh, – you know, there's very little, there's essentially no doubt at all about the, the, the Big Bang in terms of the minute after the Big right. Bang. That's a very well understood thing. So it gets a little, uh, it gets very confusing to talk to the general public about that because it's like, well, no, we're, we're really, really confident. You know, we know, we understand the, you know, Big Bang nucleosynthesis, the birth of atoms and nuclei. That part's really easier to understand. The stuff that becomes more speculative is, is as you go towards inflation and you get hotter and hotter and things we can't actually probe in a lab. Um, and that, so, but there's, those are always all under the name of Big Bang Theory. And so right. it, it, it's it's it, our fault because we use the phrase Big Bang ambiguously. There's right. the Big Bang Theory or the Big Bang Model, which is really a theory of what happens after the Big Bang. Right, right. It's a theory of everything from a few seconds after the Big Bang to today. The universe started hot, dense, and smooth. It expands and cools and galaxies form, etc. That's the Big Bang Theory. Right. But the Big Bang event, the singularity at time equals zero, isn't even part of the Big Bang Theory. It's just right. like this hypothetical moment in time that we don't claim to understand at all. Right. And so sometimes those get yeah, I agree that I think yeah. it's our fault because we just grouped it together. And it, it makes a big difference because a lot of people take that as an instant challenge to religious beliefs and things like that. But the part of the Big Bang that, you know, nuclear physicists study, that's like saying you don't believe in that is like kind of like saying you don't believe in the sun or something right. like that. I don't so believe much. in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been there? I sure don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just realized that'd be uh, ancient Egyptian atheists would be like, nah, it's, there's no sun up there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Uh, but wrong. dude, it's hot out here. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe you think so. Let's just agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I don't like the sun at all. Mm -mm. Oh yeah, one, right. of the, <laughs> one of the challenges for the book is that, of course, it's true that there's enormous amount that we don't understand about the universe. Right? We don't know what the dark matter is, the dark energy. We don't know what happened to the Big Bang inside black holes. There's a million things we don't know about the world immediately in front of us. Right? Superconductivity, how genetics works, or financial systems work, etc. But there's also things we know, right? We know that you and I are made of atoms, and we also, we know, I think, I try to make the case in the book, we know a little bit more than most people admit about how the atoms that make us up work. In fact, I think I, I try to make the case that we know everything there is to know about how those atoms work in the environment of actually being in your everyday life, like being in your body or being in the table or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's no room, possibly, for 
stuff to happen that is important for your biology that physicists haven't yet discovered in the oh, fundamental think, laws of physics. I think we're going to get hate mail from, from, uh, I hope so. Kevin, from chemists now, <laughs> or biologists. No, I mean, I already just said it 30 seconds ago. There's many things we don't know uh, about biology, chemistry, etc. But the things we don't know are not going to be explained by new particle physics, is yeah. the point. And I think that biologists and chemists will be very, very happy with that. They do not think that they're going to discover new particles or forces by doing their science. Well, there's a little bit. There's some space for that. Lisa Randall, as you know, she wrote a book where they talked about the relationship between dark matter and mass extinction events. So Don't think any mass extinction events happen in your everyday life. Well. <laughs> it's really your everyday life. But they, they, the formation of the galaxy and the Earth depended on dark matter. So we don't claim to understand that. I really mean your everyday life. Your well, actual uh, life. I have a unusual everyday life. Know, your everyday life is looking at physics, so that's a little bit different. So how but. close are we to another mass extinction? Let's just keep it positive. This, yeah. Yeah. This, is, this, this election's pushing us pretty close. <laughs> For real, though. I like, I like uh, solar flares in yeah. terms of underdeveloped disaster scenarios. I don't think it would be a mass extinction, but it's very plausible that like once every thousand years, there's a solar flare big enough to essentially wipe out the entire electrical grid on the Earth. Really? Right? Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't know because in the last thousand years, most of the time we didn't have any electrical mm -hmm. grid on the Earth. Mm -hmm. And so people speculate about that and it would cost you know a few billion dollars to shield ourselves from this and no one wants to spend the money because of course, we have other things to spend it on, and what's a, what's one in a thousand chance like every a G6. year, right? New G6. <laughs> imagine like literally weeks go by with zero electricity. Many, 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 many people would die. Yeah. Well, I know people would die out of boredom, or my generation just wouldn't know how to handle not having right. internet and Wi-Fi. No texting. No they would die without being able to text, just shrivel up. No Snapchat. A couple of years ago, I, I did a calculation because I thought that there might be a chance that global warming would actually start to literally kill people off. And it is true that the number of, uh, there, there's several hundred to several thousand people who are at risk every time there's a massive heat wave. We mm -hmm. have them in California. Yeah. But what I found out when looking it up, the rate at which we're burning, you know, burning electricity to run air conditioning is overtaking that. But if you were to have to combine those two, so so basically, the number of people who die from for heat, from waves, heat waves is going, is going down, down even though the it. number of heat waves and the severity of them is going up. So we, we already reached a peak. But of course, this all relies on the fact that we have air conditioners. Right. As soon as that went away, if you have a heat wave that's you know, 120 or something, you actually that can kill off several thousand people. So if we had solar. a heat wave plus solar flare, just like <laughs> yeah. mass yeah. extinction, yeah. Totally they might go together. That's true. I saw a document last year called Racing Extinction. Has anyone here seen it? No. Um, it was produced by the same people that did The Cove about the the Japanese, the dolphins, okay. who won an Academy Award a couple years ago. Um, anyway, so it was all about how we are basically kind of designing like our own mass extinction yeah. by the way that we're living and our lifestyles and how environmentally unsustainable are, like what we're doing is, you know, it's not yeah. long term. No, there's no question thinking. human beings are killing off. Oh yeah, you know, we're, we're creating the it. biggest disaster the <laughs> earth has ever seen. Yes, that is too bad. But but you know, we're self aware enough that maybe we can stop. It's gonna be up to us, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's it's, kind of the point of the documentary. It's a, it's a tricky one because the same knowledge that allows us to cause it is also the same knowledge that allows us to prevent it, hopefully. Um, you know, like 
we have the ability to stop, say, like a dinosaur type extinction because we are really good at getting really good at identifying asteroids, and that's one of the things we probably are smart enough right now to avoid. That is, if it doesn't happen in the next 20 years. Not totally impossible. It's actually, you know, I, I think people should be worried about it personally, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we're going to eventually, we'll, like, uh, Conventional wisdom will will win, and we'll figure out how to get around that. Positive. So there's always like a positive, and negative. But Glass we might have full. We might collapse the entire you know ecosystem on Earth uh, before that. So Kevin, you might, and both of you might know more about this. Um, you've got a lot of scientists studying renewable energy and ways to help with gases. Um, are there scientists currently studying how to use waste? to create renewable energy, which is killing two birds with one stone. Uh, you mean like trash waste? Trash waste and using <laughs> yeah, it as energy. Uh, is, is this a thing? Yeah, uh, maybe oh, I'm just oh, imagining I yeah. heard this somewhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are. Uh, that still creates uh, um, greenhouse so, gases. Yeah, it still does. Uh, which is a problem. Although we have so much plastic in the ocean right now that I think the only plausible way to get rid of it is to literally burn it at burn the ocean. Burn that Indian Ocean islands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's more complicated than that because a lot of it's below the water. But, I mean, there's oh. a tremendous amount of, of uh, plastic there, and the easiest way to get rid of it is to, to burn, suck it up and burn it somehow. But that's just, you know, there might be others. But there is a, a bus in London that's powered off of poo. <laughs> Human I've heard about, uh, yeah, cow poo, yeah. yeah no, that's a real stuff. thing. That's I, a thing. There's buses that are powered off it. I think it's more of a gimmick, that, personally, because I don't think we produce that much. Compared to what we throw away, right. I mean, that's you could, anyone just by eye can say, oh, yeah, I'm throwing away like a hundred times more than I flushed this week, at least for me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> not my kids. They, they produce more. But <laughs> It is more or less a gimmick. We, there's plenty of energy from the sun. We're just not very good at capturing it and using it, right? So eventually we will get better at it. Yeah, there's yeah, tons. Some ginger scientist out, is not going to figure that out. Even if we run out uh, on Earth, you know, we prefer the land, there's even more in space. It's a ridiculous yeah. amount. And we have a project here at Caltech that's working on very lightweight solar panels that um, can go into space. And uh, having worked on solar, I used to think that idea was completely ludicrous. But if you actually sit down and, and crunch some numbers, it's really not that bad. And, and there's just an endless supply of it out there. It's not quite endless. But yes, there's well. a lot of it out there. <laughs> Plenty out there. We'll be dead by the time yeah. it becomes important to rely on the whole thing. Yes. I hope so. Another big bang will have happened by then. Could so be. I mean, a bigger problem I worry about is people's capacity to use energy seems to be kind of endless at the moment. Yeah. Um, Stephen Hawking mentioned that we talked about this before in his book. Did you ever read that part where he said that in 300 years, he did a calculation where just our consumption of energy, even if we fix uh, global warming from the sun, right. our consumption of energy will go so high that uh, from any means, you know, if we're absorbing it with solar panels or whatever, it will will turn it into waste heat on the surface. And we will literally have to do that same thing that we're doing now to avoid heat waves, which we'll have to figure out a way to air condition the planet, <laughs> like directly air the condition. The thing is that making predictions <laughs> so is scary. very hard, especially about the future, right? Because, I mean, yeah. all of these are based on just extrapolating wildly current trends. Yeah. So I think that it's more sensible to say that lifestyles are going to have to change. Yes, I mean, some for better and some for worse. But we can't just keep growing in the in the usual way. There might be different ways of doing things. So I, I think that one of the least appreciated aspects of technological advance is that we'll be able to cure aging. 
right? There's no reason why people should have to die of old age. That's a very solvable problem. Mm-hmm. And, and then hundred really, years from now, that's a very solvable. Uh, yes. There's, there's no really, reason people <laughs> should die of old age, comma. There's no reason that shit. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. What do I? What else don't I know? It's underappreciated. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Talk about Hollywood that. is listening right now, and they're loving that. I really want to get tenure before this is. We just can care. Really do it with individual cells, right? You can take an old cell and, and reverse age it so that it's a young cell again, so that it's a stem cell. An oxidation. I don't know. I'm a physicist. Well, what do I know about well, these things? Yeah, I, I know a little bit. There's this little. It doesn't uh, violate the laws of physics. <laughs> There's uh, a costs lot of money. A lot of death is in a cell is programmed. I mean, we don't we think of some death as something like you'd avoid at all costs, but in reality, once you have kids, yeah. you're disposable pretty much. To I know that because I'm a dad, and that's how I feel. My kids <laughs> tell me that every day. That's why um, I don't have kids. I don't want to be you know disposable. Totally so. But uh, cells actually have little timers on them. They're they're little pieces of DNA that deliberately get chopped off every time the, it replicates. And this is a really good clock. It just sits there, gets shorter and shorter, and then when it reaches a certain length. The uh, the cell knows that it's it's time to shut the cell down, and so it just it, it, you lose function. This is a lot of the aging, uh, the things that come up with aging are based on this. Um, the product. arrow of time. Yeah, there it is. Wow. Right now, and uh, so one of the things you could do is there's enzymes that recycle this stuff and put it back on, it back and on. it's just you know it's it's like uh, plastic surgery, but at the cellular level. Any cosmetics <laughs> or lotion companies listening, uh, they're gonna love this. No, they're not because you're not going to get wrinkly. You're not going to yeah, be young. Yeah, they're not going to buy it. <laughs> it's not cosmetic. You okay, you cancel them actually out. Actually, being young, yeah. Okay. So that's so, I, so interesting. I, I both want this to be discovered after I have a secure job for life, or I wish I had been discovered when I was 25. <laughs> well, but if it's anywhere kids, inside that, that's yeah, the important so. thing because you know kids are not going to be a feature of the future when we have indefinite lifespans, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Indefinite like lifespans. I mean, I think yeah. that's going to create some really weird huh. Of course, it's going to be terrible because yeah. you know what? It's not going to be for the poor people first, right? Yeah. If you invent no, that technology. Yeah. So there's huge social problems. <laughs> but on the on the flip side, people always get upset because it takes a long time, even in principle, to travel to other stars in the galaxy. And you have to remind them that's only compared to current human lifetimes. Yeah. Like, true. if your lifetime is yeah. 100,000 years, then... Yeah. Spending 100 years going to the next star is not such a big deal. That's true, and that's a great place to, to <laughs> give this. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great place to give this skincare too, as you're going. You know, just hey, just sit down, read. Uh, you'd have 30 books by then written, so just read all the Sean so. Carroll yeah. books. And of course, there, right. if you're not going to the speed of light, you can get more radio to you. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you just sit there and. Um, Complain about kids on your lawn while you. <laughs> you wouldn't have to feel bad about sleeping in years. You wouldn't have to feel bad about. You woke up late. You're like, I have oh plenty of time. I'm gonna be here forever. You know what's funny is I feel like that is a big source of my personal stress. Is like I feel like I'm on a clock, even though I'm really not, and I pretty much make my own schedule except for Drunk Shopping Network, which is I mean, barely a job. <laughs> I mean, we are on a clock. You have limited you know, time in this earth. Yeah. But if you didn't, you'd be like, I'm gonna wake up next week, and it's gonna be fine. Well, the truth it's like we don't know how much time you have on your clock, right? You don't. Like I could get hit by a bus right now, or I could right now in this room, a bus could magically fly through the wall. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, you never but, really well, you know. Have an average. In fact, it's very—it's a vivid way to put it, which I put it in my book. Have I mentioned that I wrote a book that <laughs> yes. our listeners can buy on Amazon right Carol, now? Available on so, Amazon. Uh, <laughs> if you if you take the average human lifespan and divide it by the number, uh, the rate at which your heart is beating, we each get roughly three billion heartbeats. 
in our lives. And it's not fixed, like you don't lose them if you exercise or whatever, but the point is that three billion is not a very big number, right? And the heartbeats mm -hmm. go by pretty quickly, like mm -hmm. once a second, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, until we solve aging and can live for a long time, the clock is ticking. Like all those heartbeats are kind of meaningful and you better Mm -hmm. Put them to work. Oh, that's so sweet and poetic. So if you do cocaine, that's it's right. not a good thing. He's <laughs> <laughs> just wasting all the Don't do beats. drugs, kids. Yes. <laughs> uh, you mentioned going to other planets. Uh, I'm sure you saw in the news, you probably tweeted it out, um, uh, Milner and Stephen Hawking. Uh, both said that they're going to send little micro probes yeah. to other planets. I love this idea. I've thought for a long time that like we shouldn't chip. be we shouldn't be looking for alien radio waves. I think actually That's the most likely idea, yeah. thing that would be sent is just little grains of right. sand with messages on them or little robots. I think yeah. if we it, it's possible that X literally is uh, you know it's something we already have on this planet from aliens that we haven't even really looked for it yet. It's not that easy to look for. But anyway, what do you think of this idea of, of us? Yeah, the, I mean just to be very clear, their idea they're not going to land. They're going to do flybys. A flyby, they're taking these yes. little tiny things <laughs> that are just going to zoom right by stars. And uh, the nice thing is that it should have enough power to learn something and then beam information back to us. That's the part I don't get. That's the how part do you get, hard How to... do you get the information back? Because yeah, that's always bugged me as Science, the... lasers. The laser. yeah. <laughs> There's something that I don't understand there, but that, that's not surprising. But yeah, the, the, I think that you're, in the bigger picture, more is completely true that sending an artifact to another planet or star system is a way better communication tool right. than sending radio waves. And so it's highly plausible that here in the solar system there's you know some monolith somewhere underneath the dirt on the moon that is uh -huh. uh, left over from an alien It visit. might be raining down on us all the time. You know, well, so we don't know what fraction of those stars are comets, star, you know, stardust, and what fraction are these little things. You think there's monoliths of things from aliens on, on this planet? Could be. We haven't seen any yet, though, so the chances are small. But how do we know? How do we know if we haven't seen any? Yeah, we I know, that, well, I think it would be pretty obvious. Let's put it that way. Why? Why would you, like, if you found a car in the desert... You wouldn't think, oh, I guess it just happened there. <laughs> like someone what about, like, put it um, there. Is there any unexplainable things in this earth? I think so. What about Stonehenge? That's rocks. Yeah. You don't need aliens to do that. Who put them there? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, but I can think of a lot easier <laughs> hypotheses. Oh, it must have been the aliens. Right. And it's like that picture on the internet like of the the pyramids from Indonesia and Egypt and Central America and like they look all the same how is that possible <laughs> well it's a very stable way to pile rocks you know it doesn't really require any coordination they also are related to each other that can't be stressed enough like, what about the people we always think like when we see these these other cultures coming up with we were all the same culture not more than a hundred thousand years ago yeah. probably much less what do you mean we were of, all the same culture the the people who built the pyramids and the people who in in Egypt and the people mm -hmm. who built the pyramids in South America, they they were cousins in just forty thousand years ago. I mean, they, Earth. I'm mean, sorry, uh, North America didn't have anybody in it forty thousand years ago, and uh, you know, so there's they all came from the same spot. We know that from that is true. Genetics. The pyramids are not forty thousand years old. No, so, I know, yeah. but the the it's funny to they say were thought up how by the could same they? Kinds of yeah, I'm not saying that they. Uh, but the, the main point though is that we all invented. We all invented too. stuff because we all think the same. We used yeah. to talk to the same. We all had the same religion. It's only after thousands of years we've diverged, and so all these little subtle things change, like what you carve into the into the pyramid and stuff like that. That changes, but. 
you're right. It's a it's a pile of rocks. It's stable. Yeah, um, it makes sense. Somebody else came up with a good idea. It's like in comedy. You write a brilliant <laughs> joke, <laughs> and you hear somebody else do it. You're like, dude, you stole that. You're like, no, that's dude. Like, I, no. I thought of this on my own. And that's probably what the Egyptians were like. Dude, you totally <laughs> stole exactly. that pyramid idea from my us. I'm like, no, I thought it up on our own, too. You're like, dude, you <laughs> stole the pyramid idea from us. Like, yeah, no, Owen it's a good a, way to assemble rocks. Yeah, Owen has a great bit about uh, the mystery of the pyramids. That's great. You should watch it. Anyway. Uh, great story. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to copy his story right here, but he always, he's basically says, like, all these history channel shows, because now they don't do history anymore. They do the mystery of the pyramids. But he, he's, he says it's fundamentally racist, because they always go, like, who could have built this? Right. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the idea of Africans building a pile of rocks is just too hard to conceive of. If it makes you feel any better, that's the same idea as the people who don't believe that Shakespeare wrote his plays. Like he didn't go what? to university, right? Like how could he possibly <laughs> have written these plays? Like maybe he was just smart and did it. You know, that, that's hard for them to fathom. You know, a funny part is I think that also contributes to this alien interpretation is a lot of our ancestors believed that they were building these things to worship heavenly bodies. And so the reason they have that in common is because that's just sort of a, a, that's in an infant-like belief that pretty much we all shared at one point. And, and the and reason it, why it's, it's unlikely that anything we've found so far here on Earth is an alien artifact is the aliens, they've sent an artifact over many light years. They're not going to make it something that is easy to mistake for a rock, right? right? It's going to no. be pretty obvious no, something if, that doesn't fit into our if, primitive Earth-like If we technology. find a little grain of sand that was built by, you know, it's an alien spaceship, the whole entire point will be that. Right. We'll look at it and we'll be like, wow, that's awesome. You know, I mean, it will have... Dense information, some sort of message. It will have a thing that uh, um, relates it. Unless Although they're so- just planning the invasion. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, wouldn't it be? Yeah, collecting information too. Oh well. Yeah, I mean, I, we don't know how to return it, but if they right. figure out a way to return a little one, yeah. I mean, if they have inter- if they've mastered interstellar travel, then yeah, sure. It flatters ourselves to think that we're really worthy the invasion planning of the aliens. Yeah, yeah. 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 Why yeah. would they want this piece of crap? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's so <laughs> we're ruining our planet. Like, totem. <laughs> I mean, what are they learning? I don't know. That. There's a lot more stuff there. <laughs> one of the things we're learning from uh, from Kepler, the Kepler satellites, there's a lot. Of planets out there. We don't know if they have life yet, but if they don't, we're in a better chance of not getting invaded. Statistically, out of all the planets and all the solar systems and all the universe, probably, statistically, you can't say yes, you can't. Yeah, it doesn't work like that, but I would guess. Okay, we can say that. Yeah, that's, I can that say that. I gotta, I'm sure I pissed somebody off by saying, statistically, get him off the show. He's an idiot. You can't say that. Works. Again, yeah. uh, it's it's part of our part of the reason we're worried about aliens doing this, I think, is because it's part of our history that we've done this before. Anytime, been bad. Yes. anytime we've gone to a new place that already had inhabitants, uh, it's very I common. Do, I do agree Trump's with Stephen Hawking that there's a certain uh, worry. You, you shouldn't try too hard as the human race to draw attention to yourself to, yeah. for the aliens. because. <laughs> <laughs> Chances are overwhelmingly large that the any aliens that could listen to us are going to be literally millions of years more advanced than we are, right? <laughs> Just laughing so at us. It's, yeah, it's like we're not going to be an <laughs> obstacle to them. They're not going to be like, ooh, you're so wise. Right, and hopefully they're so oh advanced. Adept. It'd be so funny, like aliens watching us now is like us watching Beetlejuice now. Like, <laughs> oh, who made these graphics? Snapchat? Like, this is bad. This is just embarrassing. So uh, more about Milner. Um, Kip Thorne, previous guest on uh, on Surely You're Joking, he won the Milner Prize, or the Breakthrough Prize. He shared it, yes, with uh, Ray Weiss and Ron Drever, the three people who helped uh, 
invent and, and shepherd the LIGO collaboration that just detected gravitational waves. Yeah, so that was a great choice. Yeah, I'm really proud of him. Uh, when he was on our show, he was, it was the day after they already knew to their collaboration, and he managed to, he kind of hinted at it, so I kind of figured out what he was talking about, but he managed to keep it uh, secret. I was really He didn't impressed. even tell his wife. I mean, there were wow. plenty of people in the collaboration <laughs> who were blabbermouths. But it's also just very hard because and in the LIGO, large. <laughs> the, yeah, the LIGO community, right? It's a thousand-person experiment looking for gravitational waves. So there's a lot of people there just to start. But also, if you find gravitational waves, you want to know, can you see something in the sky with a regular telescope? So they had all these agreements with other observatories who are not members of the collaboration. Like, if we give you this little hint, you know, nudge, nudge, look in that region of the sky, maybe that's because we just detected something. Mm -hmm. So all these other people, they're sitting in telescopes and get instructions from LIGO to point at the sky, right now, hurry up, do this. <laughs> they're thinking, aha, I think I know what was happening. So who knows where the rumors really came from. Yeah. You know, I, I talked about him on the internet before. Kip Thorne? Yeah, I just oh, Googled, I was like, that name, I know that name, yeah, because he was the consultant on Interstellar. And I was on the Daily Movie Talk Show where I talked about movies all the time. And when that movie was being made, I did a lot of videos about it. And yeah, his name just kept coming up. I was like, who is this guy? And then I Googled him, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, Thomas said, what's up? Yeah, that's yeah. Professor. There's that's videos right. of me talking about him on the internet. Yep. Uh, and yeah, we that's what we were talking about on the show. We what? didn't have him, we we didn't have him, him talk guess. about LIGO because nothing had happened in a long right. time. And and uh, the fact that he brought it up, that's what gave it. He's like, He's, you know, no, we, he, just, uh, we just about to open the box, but it turns out they had actually done it. Was that He's, He's had a good towns? couple of years between the finding gravitational waves and getting the breakthrough prize and producing Interstellar and, and so forth. And I think that he says now he's working on another movie. He and Stephen mm -hmm. Hawking are talking about another movie script. Yep, but he said he would not tell us what it is. Of course, he's, he's keeping it secret. doesn't tell his wife when they detect gravitational <laughs> waves. So. And they're very, very likely to win the Nobel Prize soon. Oh, yeah, so. I think so, which would make... That'd be very exciting. Uh, yeah, that'd make We'd two. bring him right back sure. on the show, for sure. I think that's what he's... He might be doing yeah. yeah. I don't know. He might not agree. <laughs> Was it hard to get him on the first time? No, really, no. I mean, I've known him for a really long time. He was, he was your my, teacher? Yeah, he was my, I learned general relativity from him, so I've, I've, mm -hmm. and I've been here forever, I, so. How, how long? <laughs> how long have you been here for? Uh, like 20 years. Oh, it's, wow. Yeah, off and on. I mean, I've gone off and worked and come back, which is great, actually. I think more academics should do that, but um, yeah, but I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad, though, the original versions of that prize were $3 million per person. Uh -huh. wow. yeah, one, that's what I thought he got. They're, no. God. no. Oh, too they're, I believe they deserve more money. These people are going to change the world. they the $3 million in a weird way. There's $1 million that is split three ways between the three of them. So they only get oh, like a few hundred thousand. That's almost nothing. That's yeah. oh, that's switch nothing. Right there. And then the other $2 million they share between the 1,000 people who are on LIGO. Right. So oh, okay. A pittance, really. Yeah. That's a huge problem in experimental physics is you have to share the... The glory and the payoff and the blocks of gold that you had to use uh, right. for the experiment. <laughs> that's, that's why, why comedy is so much better. Yeah, that's, yeah. What I said. that's why Kevin does comedy. You get all of the glory or you get a room full of people just staring at you. <laughs> what did he just say? Kip Thorne is a dope comedian name, though. He it could is. be a comedian. He's pretty funny, actually. Right? Yeah, he's Kip very funny. Kip Thorne or a rock star. I don't know. <laughs> he basically is one, but. Yeah, no, he's pretty funny. He tells lots of jokes. It's great. He was a hippie back in the 70s. There's That's plenty right. of pictures of him. Mm -hmm. uh, That's Kevin. Yeah. 
Kevin was. Yeah, ahead. he'd be like, "What's this one? Oh no, no, we didn't have that in my time. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of the ones right. I'm familiar with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you kids and your manufactured stuff. I know. Wait, when was this invented? By the way. Uh, MDMA. When was I invented? think the eighties or seventies. Before after Splenda. Splenda was invented a long time ago. It just took a while to people to go. Okay, this is a thing we need to eat because we can't <laughs> just not eat things that are sweet. We have to trick ourselves. In. Oh, my God. Which almost always seems to not work, by the way. Your body is really good at figuring out that the calories came from something. So a lot of times yep. it just normalizes that out and just goes after the, the real craving. So we'll always want the sugar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't tell. It's very hard to – you can fool it for like a week and then just – the whole insulin mechanism and everything is like, uh-uh, no, I don't want to. That's <laughs> not gonna smarter s- than that. Yeah, that's not going to save me for the uh, for the famine. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense because a lot of things have sweet tastes that aren't more, that don't have more calories and stuff like that. Can we do our so. next, next episode on Chess Splenda? Right handed episode. We're gonna interweave Arrow of Time and Splenda and do one episode about that interweaving. <laughs> He's like, I don't know about that. No, 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 no I'm thinking because there's a lot of ways, it's not just the like like you know, we were talking about the laws of physics themselves are left-handed in a certain way. You know, there's the particles who are spinning counterclockwise interact differently than particles that are spinning clockwise. And there's a couple of other things in the universe that are like that, like the fact that there's more matter than antimatter in the universe. And you always wonder, does this have, are they somehow related to each other? And right now the answer is we have no idea. So, and does that relate to why the molecules that make up life are spinning one way rather than the other? So that Probably not. I was going to bring this up. There is, a, there was a paper where they claimed they had a mechanism because it had to do with the polarization, the average polarization of light that came from nuclear uh, decays, and I didn't. I wasn't yeah, convinced. A sketchy, but you know, I wasn't convinced, but it was an interesting idea that because I definitely never thought those two would be related. But you know, it'd be Can't kind of interesting. Those scientists sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> but it is a thing we're going to have to figure out because if we discover alien life. We need to know if we keep discovering left-handed life. Can we eat we it? We need. That's going to be very, very important. Can we eat it? Will it be young? Can we trick ourselves into it? Aliens. Yes. Can we go fishing on Europa? That's that's what matters. Can we exhaust those oceans? Right. Can we eat it? So, uh, what's what do you have planned for the book tour? Where are you going? Are you going to be on any TV shows that you can tell us about? Or? I'm not going to be on any TV shows. Uh, I mean, it, it could always happen. You know, you never know when that when those kinds of things happen. But uh, the landscape has changed. Sadly, since John Stewart and Stephen Colbert left Comedy Central, so uh, there are people who are on Comedy Central, but they're less interested in bringing scientists on. Mm-hmm. And now that Colbert is on CBS, he's under sort of more strict guidelines about what he can do and that, who he can let on. That and, was the saddest thing I thought when yeah. he went there. It was like great for him, but he still he has was so interesting people, him. but he can't just talk to them. They have to like do a do a little dog and pony show, right? Mm-hmm. You have to do so a if you just you need to learn to juggle or something. Yeah, you know, I just can't, <laughs> can't bring myself to do show. it. So yeah, it's probably not going to be on. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. This has been awesome. The book is the big picture, and where can you get it? What are all the details of? You can pre-order it on Amazon. Yep. If you order it right now, I mean, it's out May tenth, Tuesday, so it will arrive. If you order it now, I don't know when people yeah. are going to listen to the podcast. This will go up uh, first, 
So we'll put right. this, we're doing four this week, which is a huge deal. We're also so yeah, just go on to Amazon, <laughs> buy the book, then you know, click all the other links to buy all my books, and you'll be a better person. Yeah. Yay! Good. What awesome. are you going to be selling it at Barnes and Noble? Is it gonna I be am. There? Yeah. So I'm on Saturday. I fly to New York for the book release, and I'm giving talks. I'm giving talks in New York, and Boston, and DC, and Seattle, and San Francisco. Then uh, May 24th. I think whatever is the Tuesday closest to May twenty fourth, Natural History Museum here in L A. Oh, awesome! No. Really? Great. Yeah, yeah everybody go to that. Twenty fourth. We should just come to that. I'll That's go to right. That. Yeah, <laughs> should be good. And we should write a paper together at some point. Absolutely, we should do some science. <laughs> yeah, instead of jokes. Before our heartbeats are all used up. Yes. Right. Yep. All right. Thank you, uh, Sean Carroll, for being on our show. Thanks. Thanks very much. Yay. Yay. Yay.